So I remember the weekend of Labor Day in 1987 really well because we put the kids to bed that night, the night of Labor Day in 1987, and we put them to bed down in that end of the house. And it was a great day, a full day picnicking, visited the grandparents, played outside, you know, end of summer thing. And then we came, I came back upstairs to my study and I decided that I would add to my journal and that I would just write into my journal that night all the things that we had done on that end of summer day, that last bookend of summer day, Labor Day 1987. And I, I began to write down the things that we did that day. And then I, I got to thinking about the things that we had done that summer. And then it occurred to me that I had made a journal entry on Memorial Day evening, 1987. And so I got my journal out and I went back to the beginning of summer on the first day of summer, on Memorial Day in 1987. And I looked at the journal entry that I had written after we put the kids to bed on Memorial Day in 1987. And in that journal entry, I had listed all those summer plans. We're gonna go to Cedar Point this summer we're going to have ice-cold watermelon this summer. We're going to sit around the fire on the beach this summer. We're going to teach Holly to ride her bike this summer. We're going to eat sweet corn with butter dripping down, and we're not going to worry about cholesterol this summer. We're going to have a great summer. But then when I read what I wrote on Labor Day and remembered what I wrote on Memorial Day, it occurred to me, and it's never left my heart, how swiftly a summer passes. So it's uh, Memorial Day weekend in God bless America, U.S. of A. And we are blessed to be here, and no matter what the circumstances, we are blessed to have, Lord willing, a summer, a beautiful Michigan summer. And it's a wonderful time for us to remember that Memorial Day is the first bookend of summer and Labor Day will be here all too soon. And the second thing that always comes to my heart on Memorial Day weekend, and that is that Memorial Day weekend is the time when we were growing up when it seemed like my parents really wanted us to have a love of country, an appreciation for our nation, and for the freedoms that we enjoy, and for the abundance that we have, and for the religious freedom that we have. And they wanted us to appreciate that that came at a price. My people were military people. My grandfather had served on Guam in World War II in the Navy. My father was in two different branches of the service in the Navy in the Korean conflict and in the Army as a chaplain in the Vietnam conflict. And so when Memorial Day came, it wasn't something we just had a, a picnic 
but we always would observe those, we'd have those Memorial Day observances in a little village of Utica near where my parent, grandparents' farm was. We would, we would usually go in and on Memorial Day weekend, the Velvet Ice Cream Company was in Utica. And so they had the ice cream days and they had the Velvet Ice Cream Parade. And my cousins were always in the band, so we were always at the parade. They would pass out ice cream at the parade. It was a wonderful parade. Slice of Americana. There would be those broad-shouldered um, drum corps guys that would, dr that would march their way down Main Street just in a manly way, pounding on those drums with, with no melody. There would be, of course, beauty queens. The velvet ice cream queen would usually be sitting on, oh, maybe like a yellow Mustang convertible, like that one right there. Uh, maybe back on the maybe back on the trunk of that convertible, or maybe a, a Corvette if you couldn't afford a Mustang convertible. What a wonderful way to begin a weekend. And then we, we on Memorial Day we would go to the cemetery and there would be a there would be a, a memorial service at the cemetery and the flag would be at half staff. And my grandfather and my dad and others of the family would be very sober. They would teach us graveyard etiquette, flag etiquette. And then there would be a speech, maybe a song. And then at noon, the flag would go to the top of the pole. And we would all go home and enjoy our precious freedoms as Americans. Usually that meant first cutting hay out on Grandpa's farm. We were just, we were nothing more than cheap labor, now that I look back. We worked for big fat hamburgers and sweet tea and ice cream, and we'd sit in lawn chairs out in the backyard. We'd listen to the banter of the adults. And the themes that came out in those conversations were themes of God and home and patriotism, just the way it was. And it was almost as if we were being carefully instructed. So I believe that Memorial Day weekend is really a wonderful weekend for us to remember that it is one of the bookends of a very brief summer. And one of the things that every child should learn is a healthy kind of patriotism, a love of country, a gratitude for God's blessing in the USA and around the world, and a sober thoughtfulness about the horror and the inhumanity of war and the ugly things that sometimes make it necessary. So you take children to the cemetery and you teach them to respect the debt that we owe to those who have gone before us. I remember one day walking through the church, First Baptist Church in Wayland, Michigan. My dad was the founder of the church there and we built a little building. The men of the church, the men and women got together. They, they sacrificed and they built this little brick building. It's an idyllic, perfect little tiny church building, the first building. And everyone sacrificed and everyone worked. And I remember when the, the building was done, it was pristine in its newness. And one Saturday night, my dad and I were walking through the building. We were alone. And it was late on a Saturday night. We were getting ready to go back home. 
And my dad stopped in front of the communion table, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, son, I'm going to tell you a secret that I don't want you to tell anyone. Of course, I'm going to tell you now because the statute of limitations has passed on this story. He said, I need to tell you a secret that I don't want you to tell anyone. And he put his hand on my shoulder and stood there with a very grave, sober look on his face. And he said, you remember John Parmalee, right? I remember John. John was a strapping young man who owned the farm that we lived on. He would come down and work in the summer and it just seemed larger than life to me. Handsome, strong, fine Christian young man, part of the ROTC program at Wheaton College. He'd gone off to Vietnam and he never came home. My dad stood there that night with his hand on my shoulder. He said, you see the carpet we're standing on right now? He said, that carpet was donated by the Parmalee family from money that came with the insurance policy when their boy died. So I never went to church without walking on that carpet. Even to this day, when I, when I see that little building, that always comes to my mind. People had People have sacrificed for us to enjoy the things that we enjoy today. People sacrificed to build this building that we enjoy, to buy this property that we enjoy, this wonderful parking lot that we've grown very uh, attached to. Someone sacrificed. People gave their money so that we could have this sacred place. People with character they don't just stumble through life without appreciation for the things that others have sacrificed for them. And so Memorial Day weekend is a wonderful time for us to remember the brevity of summer. And it's a wonderful time for us to appreciate those who have sacrificed for us, especially those who literally laid down their lives for us. But are you with me? Christians, for Christians, it's it's always a bit more than that. For Christians, it's always a bit more than that because how can a Christian ever think about someone laying down their life and not remember our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, greater love is no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends, and then he punctuated that by laying down his life for us. Jesus Christ sacrificed his life so that you and I could have eternal life, those of us who repent of our sins and who believe. It's that simple. And how can a Christian who honors the Lord, who loves the Lord Jesus, come to a weekend like Memorial Day weekend and not be reminded of the sacrifice of Calvary some of the most beautiful poetry ever written, some of the most wonderful songs, some of the most endearing, endearing and enduring artwork has this as its theme in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, For your sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The God who created the entire the whole whirling universe is the God of the Bible. And his son is Jesus Christ, who came on a mission to redeem by dying. 
Jesus lived without sin. He, he died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. And he prays and prepares for us a place. And one day, maybe soon, Jesus will return for his children to populate the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. These are the kinds of things that thoughtful Christians think about on Memorial Day weekend. Thank you that we have a lovely summer ahead of us. Thank you that people have sacrificed for us to enjoy what we enjoy. And thank you most of all for sending your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins and help us to help other people know what that means and experience that. A Puritan once wrote a poem called Love Lusters at Calvary. Love Lusters at Calvary. It's an antiquated way of saying the love of God shines down from the cross. The love of God shines from the cross. Listen to this prayer. Christ was all anguish that we might be all joy. He was cast off that we might be brought in. He was trodden down as an enemy, that we might be welcomed as a friend. Jesus surrendered to hell's worst, that we may attain heaven's best. He was stripped so that we would be clothed, wounded that we might be healed. He was a thirst that we might drink, he was tormented that we might be comforted. He was made ashamed that we might inherit glory. Jesus entered darkness that we could have eternal light. Our Savior wept, all t wept that all tears might be wiped from our eyes. He groaned that we might have an endless song. He endured pain that we would have unfading health. He bore a thorny crown that we might have a glory diadem one day. He bowed his head that we could lift ours up. He experienced reproach that we could receive a welcome. He closed his eyes in death that we could gaze on unclothed brightness expired that we could live forever. When I was a boy, math didn't come easy for me. Now that I'm an adult, math doesn't come easy either. But I remember that in the ninth grade, I was in an algebra class with a very good teacher and I was able to track with him and then about three quarters of the way through the ninth grade, my parents moved. And the next teacher immediately lost me. Immediately lost me. I always thought it was my fault. But the other teacher, I was tracking with the other teacher. And the new teacher never oriented me, never helped me find, I was just lost. You are looking today at a man who is still lost when it comes to algebra. I'm out in the darkness of lostness and I never found my way out. I'm lost. It's one thing, you, if you're lost in algebra, you can always enlist the help of a smart friend. If you're lost in math, you can always buy a calculator. But if you're lost in life and eternity, you're doomed. And when Jesus came and he died, it's important that we understand that those of us who understand the, the death of Christ and can make an understanding of the death of Christ known to others, we can help lost people be found. We can 
no longer be lost but found. When I was a boy, there was a guy down the road that had a farm. A young man my age had, had a big farm with a big barn and is very uh, friendly kid. And he says, hey, you ought to come down someday and we can play on the farm. The only problem was between my house and his, there was a house with a bulldog named Sam. And I was scared to death of the bulldog Sam. But one day I got my courage and I wanted to play with that kid. So I got my bike going really, really fast and quiet so I could get past Sam's house before he could catch me. My grandfather, he told me, Kenny, he said, don't worry so much about that dog biting you. Worry about how bad it's going to hurt when you crash your bike trying to get get away from him. Well, I rode my bike past Sam the Bulldog out to the farm, and the kid had all kinds of fun things to do. One of the things he did was he built a maze in the hay mow, a wonderful maze in the hay mow. You could crawl into a hole and and crawl around inside this amazing maze. So he says to me, he goes, follow me. And he goes, disappears into a hole in the barn in the hayloft. And I followed him into that hole, scampered along there probably what seemed like quite a ways until suddenly I reached a dead end and there was nowhere to go. I was completely disoriented and it was dark and it was hot, itchy. And I called out to my friend, Jim. He didn't answer. Jim, no answer. I'm lost in the hay mow. It's tight. It's hot. Jim, I say. And after a long time, he says, stand up, Ken. Stand up. Or he might have said, stand up, you idiot. Something like that. So I stand up, and then I realize that it goes up and on, then I can find my way out. A person who's trying to make his way in this world without an understanding of what God did in sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, is lost and will always be lost. We'll never really understand what God is doing in this world. And will be terribly lost throughout eternity. And to think about that, those of us who understand what the cross means can orient ourselves and other people. Now look in your Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want you to see how powerfully orienting the truth of Christ's death, the cross, really is. I want you to listen as I read. I want to show you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21, how powerful it is to orient our entire life around the truth of what Jesus did on the cross, to see all of life through the lens of what Jesus did on the cross, to recognize what Jesus did on the cross is like a map that orients our life, that helps us when we're lost when we say, you lost me. The passage that, G- that Paul is writing, and he's talking about the death of Christ in chapter 5 and verse 14. He says, I'm sorry, back up to verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in a right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. 
because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In the text that I just read to you, I want to briefly show you, they're in your notes as well, I want to briefly show you seven powerful things that, that help, that, that, the, that an understanding of the death of Christ helps orient our life, helps us make sense of our world, helps us make sense of what's happening in our world. If we understand the plan that God had in His Son, our Savior, Jesus being crucified, it helps orient, it helps us to find ourselves. It helps orient whatever else happens. Everything flows out of that. I'm going to show you these seven things. Note them here. First, it will change what we fear and what we respect. It will change what we fear and what we respect. That's why verse 11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But we are known, what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known to your conscience. Paul, it, all of this is Paul saying, since I understand the death of Christ, my whole life changes. One of the things that changes is what I fear and what I respect. I fear God and I respect God over everything else. Why? Because the, or, the death of Christ orients me to that. Second, it will change us from an external focus to an internal focus. In chapter 5 and verse 12, it talks about those who have a focus on the external. Or you even could say in other places, they focus on temporal and external things. But when a person understands what Jesus did, his focus is on internal things. He doesn't just look at it and say, a man walking through Walmart and, and, and judge him based on his hairstyle or his tattoos or, or, or uh, his, his uh, clothing. But he looks upon the heart. He looks within a person. We're not just a person that's oriented around the cross, isn't just quickly irritated by things that are on the surface, but looks beneath the surface on, on inward things. This is the orientation we have. There's a church uh, not too far from here. I speak there. Every once in a while, I've gone to this church to speak. And it's a beautiful building, but it's the most confusing building I have ever been in to find your way around, especially when you need to use the men's room. It's so hard to find the men's room been going to that church for years and I have never figured out how to get to the men's room at the church. I find my way there every once in a while. I feel very happy when I do. But the last time I spoke there something happened that had never happened before. I walked in and I looked over at a table and there was a little aerial view of the church, a little map of the church. The second that I looked at that map 
I laid it back down, and I never needed to look at it again because I was oriented. Oh, I understand now. It wasn't laid out in a perfect square, but it did have a symmetry to it. What I'm trying to say here is that what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is, once I got what God was doing through Christ's death in place, in my mind, everything else came together, including who I fear and who I respect, my orientation toward things being internal and not external. It changes your normal. Verse 13, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. In other words, Paul is kind of rhetorically responding to people saying, you guys must be crazy. Christians are crazy. And he says, well, when you understand the death, the plan of God and the death of Christ, then you realize there's a new normal. And then number four, it'll change what you live for. For the love of Christ controls us. Verse 14 and 15. We've concluded this, that one has died for all. All have died. That those who might live, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So believers get this. Believers don't just go, well, I, I'm a Christian like I'm a Buddhist, like I'm a Muslim, like I'm a Hindu, like here's a philosophy of life, or here's a teacher, or here's a great person to follow. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a space and time historic claim that God came to earth, died, rose, and rose again. And we believe that God sent Jesus to earth to die and to rise again, and believing we have life and we have forgiveness. It's, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. If this is true, and it is, then our neighbors without Christ are lost. People may lose everything in life or have nothing in life, but if they have Christ, they have everything. Or they may have everything in life, and without Christ, they have nothing. It completely orients our life. It completely changes our life. Listen to what it says. You're familiar with this. Changes how we see people, verse 16. How we treat people, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no man according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. You've heard me say this before. A believer who understands what Jesus did on the cross never sees another human being from a merely human point of view. They're not just that irritating person that's demanding things. They're a person that's created by God, even possibly one day a child of God. We don't look at people from a merely human point of view. We look at where did they come from? Where are they going? What's happening? We look at people the way Jesus looks at people. It changes our whole life. It will change and transform us. You're familiar with this. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, verse 17, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and everything's becoming new. Everything's different when we really understand the death of Christ. Do you see the difference between some people claim to be Christians, and they're kind of like churchgoers, they're kind of good people, they're kind of like they've given mental assent, but they haven't been transformed. They haven't become completely new people. Born-again believers in Christ become completely new inside out. Everything changes. And that's what it says there. It will transform us. And finally, number seven, it will change our mission in life because we become ambassadors, according to the Scripture, we become representatives. Changes the way we see ourselves. Changes the way we see everything. You'll be a new creation. You'll see everything new. It'll change what you value. It'll change the way you use your time. It'll change the way you use your money. Everything will change. 
That's why it says, and all this is from God, verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. You can't look across the street at your neighbor and see him the same way as you used to see him. You can't just have your own way, stay to yourself, live for yourself, build your little kingdom, gather your stuff, ensure your stuff, protect your stuff. You can't just fight for your rights as a citizen. It's not just a healthy self-help, kind of religious self-help thing. It's heaven and hell. It's life and death. It's good and evil. It's transformational. I would ask you on this Memorial Day weekend, by all means, savor the joys of summer. And by all means, be a good American. But beyond all of that, let God totally, completely, and thoroughly transform everything about your life by orienting, orienting your entire life around this work that Jesus did in dying and rising again. That's why real Jesus people can never forget this. They can never escape this. They can never recover from this. Some have said they're ruined for the ordinary. I know a man who, who was so convinced of the cross and of the claims of the cross on his life and the importance of following Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that what he decided to do is he decided that he would never, ever get up in the morning and get dressed without somewhere on his person putting a cross, a, a depiction of the cross of Christ. You'll never see this man without a cross on him somewhere. Now, Jesus didn't command us to do that. That was symbolic for him. But what Jesus did command us to do was have to be marked by the cross, to live in the shadow of the cross, to live in the light of the cross, to, to see all of life through the, through the lens of Jesus, who he is, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that he's coming back someday. If you long to be transformed, I commend to you a consideration again and again every day of the cross, of what Christ did. You do this by orienting your life around the cross. And that's why on this warm, sunny first weekend of summer, we initiate summer. We're grateful for those who died, but we orient and we reorient our lives around the cross of Jesus who laid down his life to give us life. Many of you know that I've told a story about the man that came into our life many years ago and married my wife's sister, Linda. His name was Bob Dunbar. And Bob was a baby Christian and began to really grow and he got baptized, began to follow the Lord, became a really devout believer, a fine man. And as many of you know, he was shoveling snow on the 1st of February in 2015 on a Sunday morning to get his family to church and his heart stopped working and he died right there in his home. I was a part of Bob's funeral and the church, which seated over a thousand people, was full. The church was full, the balcony was full, the overflow video was full. People were watching the video from other places. The night before, when his widow stood by his casket and his children stood by his casket, I think that the, the, view, the viewing began early in the afternoon and continued way past 10 o'clock at night, lines out the door of the church because this man had impacted so many people's lives. Christ was so fragrant on Bob Dunbar and he was a generous guy. He was a kind guy and he was a family guy. 
God had really worked in his life, and he touched a lot of people's lives. Mine, our oldest son, Kyle, did a tribute on his Uncle Bob. And as my son, Kyle, and Bob's oldest daughter, Carly, got together and put together a slide presentation for the funeral. And the slide presentation was going to be a collage of dozens of photographs of Bob, almost all of them with members of his family on vacations, at his home, fly fishing. Our old son Kyle decided that he wanted to put some music with that slide presentation, music that would represent Bob's life. And he had an idea. He had Bob's iPad, so he, he did a search on Bob's iPad for the one song Bob listened to more than any other song on his iPad. And of all the songs on his iTunes collection, the one song that Bob listened to way more than any of the other songs was a song that you may have heard of before. It's a Michigan song, a song called The Old Rugged Cross. And when I heard that, I thought that might explain why this man had such a powerful influence in his world because he was oriented around the cross. I called my son Kyle this morning to verify the details of that story. And I said, do I have it right? He said, yeah, you do, Dad, but there's something that you didn't say. I said, what's that? He said, you know, I lived in, we went to the same church for seven years, lived in the same town, and I worked initially there in his company and then in his church. And I heard Bob pray hundreds of times. He said, but you know what, Dad? I never, ever heard Bob pray without that Bob would close the prayer with, and God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Today, if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ and he's your Savior, I want to suggest to you that you are an ambassador of Christ to represent him in this world. It matters not if we're home or away. It matters not if we're well or sick. We have a mission from the Lord. People need the gospel. They need to understand this story. Let's ask God to bring into our life people. Let's reach out to find people who need to know about Jesus. Some of you even here, you're unsure. Maybe you're, you're, you're lost. Maybe you would say, you lost me. Uh, I'm still lost. I'm not found yet. I will tell you this before I'm going to we're going to come off this roof and then folks are going to be dismissed. You can leave at your leisure. And some of you are going to want to kind of talk through the windows at a safe distance and so forth. But some of you may want to stay behind today and just wait till the parking lot empties and then drive up and I'll keep a safe distance and I'll talk with you about your soul. I'll help you become a follower of Jesus. Some of you may just want to send an email to us. If you're a woman, we'll connect you with a woman who can talk with you. You might want to text us. Our numbers are there in the bulletin. We'd love very much to explain to you how you can orient your entire life around Jesus. But I want to leave you today with a benediction. Pray with me. May you have a peaceful, restful, worshipful summer.
May God make you a true Christian patriot and a world Christian as well. But most of all, may the Lord always be before you. May you trust in the work of the cross. May you live in the shadow of the cross. May you glory in the meaning of the cross. May you build your life around the aim of the cross. May you never escape its influence, never recover from its power, never forget what Jesus did. And may you always cooperate with what Jesus is doing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.